Hey, hey, hey. Happy New Year, Side Life Church. Happy New Year, Side Life friends and family. If you're watching online, Happy New Year to you guys as well. Uh, my name is Pastor Derek. I'm the small groups pastor, men's ministry pastor here at Side Life Church. I'd like to say, first of all, hey, guess what? It's a new year. We made it, right? We made it. We made it. And that's pretty cool to think about it, that we made it. Um, some of us at, looked at last year, 2021, and honestly, had a pretty good year. And as some of us kind of slid through 2021 and we moved into 2022 and we just made it by the skin of our teeth and we feel like maybe we're hanging on even now by a thread. So no matter where you were last year, wherever you came into this year, we made it. We are here. And so, you know, with all of life's ups and downs, uh, that's what life is. Even, even a new year started off like that, right? The ups and downs of life. Remember, it was like 80 degrees yesterday, and now it's 30. <laughs> it's freezing. That's how temperamental the weather can be. That's how temperamental life can be. Life is full of ups and downs. And so, you know, one of the things that I can tell you that's constant, one of the things that I know that we can stand on is the Word of God. And so that's the thing that often brings us hope. This book, this Bible, is full of stories of real people that have had real-life situations, that have experienced very high moments. They've experienced very low moments. But this book is full of real stories. Sometimes we read the stories and we think, man, yeah, that, that, that's sensational. That can't be true. But they are. They're real people that have gone through real things and depended on God to bring them through. So today, we're going to take a little bit of opportunity to look at the story of David. And many of y'all know David as King David. This story that we're going to look at, this portion of his life, is going to be a little bit prior to him becoming the king that we knew him to be. See, I want to give you a little context for what we're talking about. David, at this point in his life, King Saul had attacked him. King Saul had turned on David and sought to kill him. Saul had chased David and, and through all these different areas and running him out of Israel. This is the David that would have been ostracized and banished from his homeland. And now we see David as he ran away. He said, you know what? I'm going to go to these enemies that I know that are of Israel. He went to the Philistine camp. Yeah, the enemy. Remember the Goliath, the guy he killed? He went to that, those people, and he found refuge as God would have it amongst those people. And when, he, when Saul found out David was with the Philistines, he stopped pursuing. So David had left his homeland. Now he's with, with, with the Philistines. He found a king named King Achish. And Achish found out that David would go and maraud and David would, would, would go uh, take over and sack these cities and spoil these cities. And he came back with all these riches and he would share them with King Achish. And he kind of deceived him to make him think that he was working or, or fighting for him. David had 600 men. Uh, some of them all, all of them not savory men, but they were with David and they would go sack these cities. And then they would take again the spoil of the king Achish. And Achish said, man, this guy is loyal to me. And so much so that at one season, 
the, the, the Philistines decided that they were going to get their armies together and they were going to now go attack Saul and the Israelites, David's homeland. Now, David had already found the loyalty with this king, so when they arrayed the armies, of course, David had to show up. So David shows up, but as God would have it, all of the other princes in the provinces of the Philistine decided, you know what? You trust him, King Achish, but we can't trust this guy, David. We know and we've heard how mighty he has been in battle. We know what he's done to our champion, Goliath. You trust him, but we can't. So then Achish says, David, I'm going to have to have you go back to your homeland. And there's this little town called Ziklag that King Achish, because of David's loyalty to him, had given David as his own territory. He said, David, you got to go back to Ziglag. You cannot stay here and fight with us. So you got to think about it. David now, he and his men can't go home, can't now fight for their allies. They're on the way back home. And I guess as a warrior, you might think, man, I was ready to go into battle. Um, this is what we do, and now we can't fight? But you know what? That's cool. We get to go home. How many of y'all, like, like right before the break, was looking for the Christmas break? Some of you got the school teachers and others got that week or so off. How did you feel knowing that Friday you were on the way home and you were going to have a week off? So think about these guys. They, they were off away from their home. They were ready to fight, but now they found that they can't fight, but they get to go home. There's a silver lining. So they are on their way home. And as they make their way home, they get there and they turn the curve in the corner and they look and at their homeland, they begin to see smoke coming up out of the village that they were going to. But can you imagine the hope they had initially? Like, I get to go see my wife and kids. I get to sleep in my own bed, right? And now they turn the corner. And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to see this portion of scripture about David's life, David and his city of Ziglag. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. This is David in Ziglag. And we're going to see what happened to David as he turned that corner and he began to see the smoke coming up from his, his famed homeland in his city. So 1 Samuel 30. Uh, starting, we're going to look at verse 1 and 2. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag, attacked Ziglag, and burned it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. See, on the third day, it indicates that when we see where it says on the third day, that kind of gives us the context of how far away David was. They were in the northern country about 25 miles away, and they had to have their packs and all of the things that they were going to fight with, and they traveled three days to get back to Ziglag. They traveled with all those things trying to get back to their family, and, then, and, and, and a lot would have been going on in their heads. Again, some of those men that were brutes, would have thought, man, again, we had an opportunity to fight. 
All of them were not uh, 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 sympathetic to Saul, so they would have had a relished opportunity to, to get back at the man that had them hiding in holes in all of these different places. And then they would think about that on this three-day journey. Man, but then, you know what? I can just imagine by the time that third day got there, wearied and tired, but rejuvenated because they know they were about to see their families. The Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag, attacked Ziglag, and had burned it to the ground. Think about that. Everything that David had in his possessions were now burned to the ground. You come looking to hear the chatter of your children, hear the sweet sound of your wife's voice, enjoy some good warm food, and guess what? It's all gone. Ziglag was taken. The Amalekites had taken advantage of what David had seen as an opportunity to go show loyalty to, to King Achish. And these Amalekites took advantage and came and took everything away. And then we'll look now at 1 Samuel verse 30, 3 through 6. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices, and they wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So David and his men came to the country, came to that city, a few miles. Their hearts were broken, their wives and their children taken. Think about that. I want, us to, I want to sit in it for a minute because as we look at our lives and as we discover things in our lives, sometimes there's a part of our lives that have been burned down. There's parts of our lives that have been taken away. But listen at this, all of the people, the men that were with David, when they noticed that their wives and their children and all the possessions were gone, they wept bitterly. They cried. They, got, they laid out prostrate on the ground and they just cried and they cried and they cried because they had nothing else left to do but to weep. And then those points, they turned to David and they picked up stones and determined should they stone him to death? I want you to think about this. Like I said, this, this is a real-life story that reads like a book. Here these people are, these 600 men that have been in battle with David. Now they have stones in their hands because of the grief that they were suffering, the pain they were in. And they had to have somewhere to release that pain. Why not go against the leader who led us out to battle, who left our home empty and vacant? Why not turn on him? Let's kill him. Let's, they were thinking about stoning David. And see, if I were to have to triangulate or, or pinpoint the lowest part in David's entire life, and you can do it your own. This is my take. I, I look around and I look at David's life in Scripture, but I can't find another place where David would have not felt his absolute loneliest time. He had absolutely nothing to turn to. 
He couldn't go home to his homeland where he grew up with his fathers and his brothers and all his kinsmen because Saul was seeking to kill him. He couldn't go back to this man, this king, had given him refuge and given him in a city because they didn't want him to fight. He said, well, at least I can go home and see my family, but he gets there, and he doesn't even have an opportunity to see his wife and his children or anyone else, and his possessions are gone. And then the men that have been in the trenches with him, the men that were loyal to him to this point, were seeking to kill him. David had absolutely nowhere and no one to turn to. See, like I said, life is full of ups and it's full of downs, right? All of us have experienced some form of that, but here is David at his lowest form. And one of the things that I can tell you about this book, all of these stories that we're talking about, they're filled with what we would call divine mentors, All of these stories that we're reading in the Bible, if we read them in spirit and in truth and we look at them through the lens of what is it that God can teach us or show us through the lives of these people, then this is a great story to look at. This is something that really happened. This is something that as you sit here, that hopefully, prayerfully, God will have us something that we can relate to this. This was David at his most desperate moment. Now, here's the thing. The best thing that could have happened to David was that he was at his most desperate moment. See, this is a good place to be when you have nowhere else to turn but to God. And see, God is so amazing that he will bring us sometime to this place. We can't see it when we're in the midst of it. Why would God put us in this place? Man, but if it causes us to turn our face to God, hallelujah. If it, if, if it has us for a moment, to to look up at God and say, God, I need you. And see, that's what we see David doing. The scriptures tell us again that David strengthened himself in the Lord. But David, and I love it, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. Think about it. How does one strengthen themselves in the Lord? It sounds like a good thing to do. Man, I'm I'm on a heartbreak. I can't do anything. I can just turn to God, but I don't have anything to do. I'm lamenting. But David, this is the moment. Have you ever heard of the prodigal son? Remember, he was, this is David's prodigal son moment. The prodigal son was a, a Jewish boy that found himself in a pig pen. You know, in Jewish children, the Jewish people had nothing to do with pigs and hogs. They're unclean animals. But this, this guy was in the pig pen, not only in the pig pen, but at the lowest point of his life, he was thinking about eating the pods that the pigs had to eat. And it was in that moment that that scripture says that he came to himself. And in his lowest moment, this prodigal son came to himself and he had a moment of clarity and then he started thinking about his father's house. And so when we look at David in his, in, his, in his most desperate hour, David began to think back. He strengthened himself in the Lord. How did David do that? What was this strengthening? What was this encouraging thing that David did? See, I would guess that David began to think about what God had done to this point in his life. See, I believe that David began to think about when he was a little bitty shepherd boy out in the field simply tending his father's sheep. David would have remembered 
that as he was out there tending the sheep, that there were, where there were bears and there were lions that would attack that area. And David will remember how God allowed him to use his slingshot to slay those bears and, and to grab the beard of the lion and to kill those things. And David has to realize that I'm a little ruddy boy. How did I do that? He started reflecting. He strengthened himself in the Lord. And he said, man, God did that. Then I can imagine him thinking about after doing that, he had an opportunity to slay Goliath, the king, this big Philistine giant that, that was ridiculing the Israelite army that even Saul's men and his brother would not go out and face him. And then David remembered how the Lord gave him strength and might to go and slay that giant. David would have started thinking and remembering, yeah, man, I killed Goliath. And I remember that, that, that when I killed Goliath, I, Saul brought me into his kingdom and he showed me all kinds of great favor, right? He said, man, that's, that's the favor of the Lord that was resting on me. I didn't do that on my own strength. God helped me slay Goliath and then he gave me favor with the king. He might even remember when he was out in the field and Samuel, the prophet, came out and he, he went out to him and he anointed him. David, you little ruddy boy, you're going to be the next king of Israel. He anointed him before it came to pass. See, these are the things that David would have thought about to strengthen himself in the Lord. Then he would have remembered that, hey, when Saul started being vexed with me and I was standing near a wall and Saul took his javelin and he threw it at me. Remember, David was good and he was agile, but just to be able to move out of the way and allow that javelin to impale itself into the wall instead of him, David would have started thinking, man, that wasn't me. That was God. See, these are the things that David did to strengthen himself. God, even after you got me run away from my homeland, you, you ran me to my enemies, the Philistines, but you still let me find grace? with the king of my enemies, so much so that he would give me a city of my own and let this be my territory where I can go do the things that I did and have an existence, David strengthened himself in the Lord. Now, one thing you got to know about David at this time, he wasn't like, he had a bunch of guys that were with him that weren't, like I said, weren't all savory guys. These individuals that were with David were some murderous guys. And David was out marauding with them. So if you really kind of look at it, David was somewhat in a backsliding state. He was going to these different areas. Now, I'll give you this, and you can go back and read it in 1 Samuel 27 up to this point. But, but David, when he was going out fighting, he was fighting against the enemies of the Israelites. And he was sacking those cities, the enemies of the Israelites, and he killed every person in the village. David had no mercy for anybody that he went into in that village. He killed them all. He didn't want any of them to escape so they can go back and tell Achish, hey, this, this guy David, he's killing, he's killing enemies of the Israelites, not your enemies. So David killed everybody. Now, here we go again. David knew that he was weak. David knew that he was a flawed man. But yet, on his own strength, he said, if I kill all of these people, they won't find out about it. So David was functioning then in his own strength. But now, here he is, all alone on God's mercy. Why didn't the Amalekites kill his family? Why did they just burn the city and, not, and, and take the people away? Because God is merciful. 
See, it's not, it's not about our own strength. It's about how good and how graceful and how merciful God is to us. David knew that he was weak and that he needed God's help. David strengthened himself in the Lord. He couldn't wait on his boys that were with him to come up and say, hey, David, it's going to be all right, dude. We're going to be okay because they were so hurt that they had nothing to offer him. David couldn't say, well, maybe if I just wait a little bit longer and kind of think through some things, I can figure out what to do. But David had no other choice but to turn to God. And here's the cool part. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. David realized the greater is he, not himself. He said, I have to go and I have to see what it is that God would have me to do. So David, again, encouraged himself in the Lord. David strengthened himself in the Lord. And then we find David in 1 Samuel 30, 7 through 8. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Amalek's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, you shall recover it all. So now it was time to do something, right? So David knew he couldn't do it in his own strength. So what he did, David inquired of the Lord. David said, I, I, I now remember where my strength comes. It comes from God. Just like the prodigal son, David went to his father. And David said, shall I pursue or shall I not, and said, will I overtake? So the first thing he did, Abiathar was the high priest, the priest. And so David said, go get the ephod and bring it back to me. See, this ephod was a priestly garment that they would wear over their clothes, and it had two stones in it. And they would take the ermine and the thummim, and they would take those, and they would cast them, and God would give them his will for whatever the situation they were doing. So David said, I know where my strength comes from. And he went to his father and he asked God, God, what shall I do? Shall I pursue? Shall I overtake them? And then God answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover it all. So you got to think about it. David heard what God said. He employed, he, first, he encouraged himself. Then he inquired of God. Then he got a mission from God. And guess what David did when God told him to pursue? Guess what he did? He pursued. See, that's the thing. We can ask God for different things and ask God, what is it you want us to do, God? And when God gives us something, now we have to put our, our faith into action. Faith without works is dead. And so David had to take this information and said, yeah, go, go get him, go pursue him. And I'm telling you, if you do, you're going to recover it all. And so at that point, David and his troop began to pursue. Now think about it. You got to think about what was going on here. These are the same 600 men that lost everything along with David, their wives and their children and their possessions. They had literally picked up stones and considered stoning David to death. But look at the faith now that David has displayed because he encouraged himself in the Lord. David went to those same 600 men. And can you imagine them standing, watching maybe some of them having a stone in their hands and looking at them in their faces and said, I have inquired of God and I asked God, what shall I do? God said that I should pursue 
And he said that not only if I pursue, he said, but I will recover it all. And I don't care what you propose to do with those stones. I don't care if you come with me or not, but I'm going to get my stuff. If you're with me, come with me. Think about that. So these same 600 men that were going to stone him said, let's go. And they mounted up and they began to go because God said to pursue. So David pursues the Amalekites and and, and listen at his first Samuel verse 30 and 9. This is what it says. David went, he and his 600 men who were with him and came to the brook Besor where there were those who were left behind. But David pursued, wait, okay, let me start again. I got to get it right. So David went, he and his 600 men who were with him, and, and he came to the brook Besor, where those who were left behind. But David pursued, he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind, who were, who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Besor, where those stayed behind who were left. So at the end of the day, you got 600 men that all of them geared up. Now, you got to remember, they just had a three-day journey hiking with all of their things. They come home, and now they had this emotional letdown. And if you've ever cried and cried and cried, and you've ever suffered things, do you know how emotionally draining and physically draining it can, exhausting it can be to lament and to be in a hard place? These guys had traveled physically three days. Now they have this emotional letdown. And now David says, let's go pursue. And they grab up their stuff and their enthusiasm, and they begin to go. But as the enemy would have it, and as God wants to continue to show his own strength, 200, a third of David's men got to the river of Besor, the brook of Besor, and they could not cross because they were absolutely exhausted. David could have said, God, I thought you told me to pursue You let me rally these guys, and they're coming with me. We're going to do it, and now you're going to take 200 of my men? No, sir. David said, you told me what's going to happen. And if these 200 stay, y'all stay and watch these supplies and make sure everything else. You other 400, let's go. And so they continued to pursue, and then they got to the place. Now, here's the thing. Oftentimes, I want to say this. Oftentimes, God will empty us completely out so that he can fill us up. Right? He will empty us completely out before he will fill us up. And so that, that's what had happened to David. David said, maybe you got a little bit more in the tank. Let me make sure you don't. I want to empty you fully. I'm going to take 200 more men. David said, God, empty me out. I'm yours. You do what you want with me. I've heard your voice. I'm going. And so now we'll skip down to 1 Samuel 30, 16 through 19, and we'll talk about this. Because I want to say, in the interim, after these guys dropped out, David then encountered an Egyptian slave who the Amalekites had left for dead. They fed him. They nursed him to health. And then they found out. He said, well, who's your master? And he said, well, it's, I'm with the Amalekites. And we just got through robbing and parading people in the south. And we burned down a city called Ziglag. What? David followed and pursued. And, and, and just think about if David had not pursued right when God told him to go. As they approached, this slave might have died from his injuries and from his hunger. But God told David to go, and David did not waste time. He went, and he was able to find this slave, and that slave said, we, him, himself, we burned down the city of Ziglag. And he said, but I'll tell you where they are if you just don't hurt me. And so they told him where the Amalekites were, and David and his troop pursued. In 1 Samuel 30, 16 through 19, 
And when he had brought him down, there they were, spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Then David, uh, then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except for 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. I guess the camels were pretty fast. <laughs> so David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken away, and David rescued his two wives, and, no, and nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Then David took all the flocks and the herds, and they divided they, that they had driven before those other livestock and said, this is David's spoils. See, God's promises proved to be true. David inquired of the Lord. God said, go do this, and I promise you, if you follow me, you're going to get your things back. And so David did that. He followed God and went and got his things back. Everything they had taken before, everything, all of the things that they had lost, they recovered them. And remember, the Amalekites had gone and sacked other cities. So they had so much more other things. David not only recovered his things, but he recovered many more things, many more spoils. And David brought those things back, and he gave them to the men that were there with him, those 200 that stayed back at the brook Besor. Some of the men decided they didn't want to give it, but David said, no, 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 that's not how we're going to operate. These men might have not been fighting the battle with them, but they were supporting us from behind. And so he took and he said, we're going to divide the spoil equally amongst all of our men. See, David had a change of heart. David understood. He made a decree that day that this is going to be such. If we fight, everybody gets part of the spoil. So Charles Spurgeon said this quote one day. He said, you little, you little faiths, you, despond, your, your, you little faiths, you despondencies, you much afraid, you feeble minds, you that sigh more than you sing, you that you that would be, well, I can't read, you that would but cannot, you that have great hearts for holiness but feel beaten back in your struggles, the Lord shall give you his love, his grace, his favor as surely as he gives it to those who can do great things in his name. So it doesn't matter how strong or how, 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 how hard you think you are. It doesn't matter what your own strength. God said, I have the grace. I have the power to give you everything you need. You have none. So now let's just take a moment as we end. Think about the things that David did. There were five things that we saw David do. First, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. How many of you sitting in this room today, Looking back over the last year, maybe the last two years, for, for me, again, 2020 and 2021 seemed to lump itself into one big gigantic year, right? And I saw, like in 2020, my wife and I, we, we and my children, we all went through the COVID thing in 2020. We turn around in 2021, and we're doing decently, and then my wife has a cancer scare. And I'm like, God, what is going on? We thought we got over this COVID thing, and now we're coming into this season, and you give us cancer to battle? Right? We could have, we could have like, oh, man, God, what's the deal? But we, our strength was so strong. I remember the day we went to the oncologist, and we stood. I did not want to do this. Anyway, we stood there, and we prayed. We said, you know what? It doesn't matter to us what you do in this conversation because we have no strength. But you have every strength. God, you can say it be gone, and it's gone, and it was. 
That's the beautiful part about God. God said, you don't worry. We told God on the way up, we said, whatever she says, we're not going to change our lives. We are going to live for you. Whatever hand you deal us, we're going to deal with it as you gave it to us. So many of you all in this room, some of you, maybe you listening, you might have slid into this new year, like I said, on your last thread. You may find yourself in a position such as David where you feel like you have no hope for tomorrow. But this is what the divine mentors and the scripture would do. This is the purpose of this whole story so that you can see what David did. David first strengthened himself in the Lord. If you think back in your life from where you are today to what God has done for you in the past, you can increase your faith. You can think, Lord, you remember when I was a little boy and I had this accident on my bicycle and they thought I was going to die, but you helped me, God. God, you remember when I lost my job and I thought nothing else was going to do. I have nowhere to turn. And then an old friend from college called you and said, hey, man, what you been up to? I started a new business. It's doing really well. I thought about you. Do you feel like you can work with me? Oh, you know, there's so many different things. Maybe you got a diagnosis of something of some sort. Maybe right now in the next last couple of weeks, you heard some news that wasn't so good and you feel like you're hopeless. See, David, this divine mentor that God has given us, showed us how we can think back what God has done for us today. And he strengthened himself. Now, next step, David inquired of the Lord. So when you have your moment, everybody has a down moment. I get it. But when you inquire of the Lord, then find out what is God, what God wants you to do. When we went up, when we got ready to go up to the oncologist, my wife stopped. She's the one that said, Derek, let's pray. Would you pray for me before we go up? I said, yeah, let's pray. And as I was praying, of course, there's no canned prayers. I'm listening for what God has me to pray because I know he wants me to encourage her faith. And in that, he encouraged me. He said, no, we will live our lives in fear and trembling with God no matter what happens. So God, we inquired. He said, keep living for me. I got the rest. You keep living for me. I'll take care of the rest. Inquire of the Lord, and he will tell you exactly how to operate. But then it comes to you. Can you be obedient to what God says do? And when you do, can you trust the promises that God said he's going to give you? And that's the beauty of inquiring of the Lord. Then David heard God's promise and he believed that God would deliver the troop to him. He believed that he would recover it all. Do you believe that whatever the enemy has taken from you, whether it's job, whether... Man, I, I just went to a funeral on the 31st. My half-sister lost her mother on December 24th. We had the funeral on the 31st. She's suffering right now. My sister, her mother's lost, Right? Some seems like the enemy has taken things from some of you have lost loved ones in this last season. I know personally of about at least what five to seven people over the last three weeks that have perished and died. But I think about the goodness of God because the majority of those people knew God to be their Lord and their Savior. And see, that's the hope that we as believers have that even if the enemies take our very lives, that we have eternal life to live with God. And so these are the things. We need to believe in the promises. God said, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God sent him to die on a cross, put him in a grave for three days, raised him with all power in his hands, then you shall be saved, sealed to the day of redemption. Death has no victory over you. 
There's nothing that this life offers that is greater than our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. When God, when David heard and believed the promises, David did what God told him to do, and then David saw it as God's victory. He said, none of this spoil belongs to me. This is all God's. God, you take it and you give it to other people and you let them see your mighty hand work in their lives. So again, if you're here today and you're at like David at the lowest point of your life, or even if you're at the highest point, don't even think that because your success is happening, it's through your own strength. It's through the grace of God. Let that, mark those, mark those victories that you're in right now. Bend that ear of that, t- of that book and remember it because one day you might find yourself in the valley and you have to strengthen yourself and you remember, God, remember when you had me high on the hog? I realized that it wasn't me, that that was you. So either way, whether you be a bound or whether you be a base, it doesn't matter. Learn to be content with the state you're in because whether you're bound or whether you're a base, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. First, this is the last, I'm going to read this quote, John chapter 10, 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. This is why Jesus has come. This is why God sent his son. This is what the enemy's ploy is. He wants to steal, maraud, take everything away, burn it to the ground like zigzag. Take away your wife, your family, your children. That's what the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Hallelujah. But God says, I come that they may have life and to have, not only have life, not just get your stuff back, but to have life and to have it more abundantly. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your son, Jesus. God, we thank you for everything that you've done for us. God, we thank you for the station of life that we're in, no matter where it is, God. No matter if it's high or matter it's low, if we're on the mountain or we're in the valley, God, we know that you are with us. God, when the time seems like that you're not, when we feel like uh, we're all alone, God, we may really truly be at our most desperate moment. But God, in our weakness, you are made strong. God, it's your strength that we rely on. I ask you, God, to let the strength of your, love, of your love for us and your son Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Let it rest, rule, and abide over everyone that's in this room. Everyone that hears my voice, God, whether they know it's you or not, God, let them remember that they didn't wake themselves up this morning. Let them remember they aren't taking these breaths that they're taking right now. If they can hear me, they didn't give themselves the ability to hear, God. You gave it to them. God, let them realize that it's you, that, that you are speaking to them and that they don't know you and pardon their sin. God, I pray that they come now asking what must they do to be saved. And then, God, let them accept your grace and your son, Jesus. Let them live a life of eternity. Let them live and understand that there's nothing this world can do that can ever touch them because you, we are all safe in your hands. God, we love you. We trust you. We believe in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.